Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by the podcast host. They are the company who can help you set up your podcast, help you grow the podcast you already have. No matter your technical ability, they have all sorts of resources available, a great team behind you to help you get your podcast going. If that's what you want to do, check out beingfreelance.com for the link to the podcast host. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for photographer Andy Barnum. Even if I meet someone online or via social media, I try as soon as possible to go, I'd love to meet you, I'd love to come in, I'd love to learn more about you, your brand, and, and make that human connection. I think it's also too easy to hide behind email. The military said there's no plan ever survives contact, and I don't think if any plan ever does, I think it's very important to look back on what A goes well and A what doesn't go well, and say, actually, next time, how do we make it better, and just and keep keep moving forwards. I think if you stay still, you're, you're not going to be particularly successful. Yes, hello. So here we go with another one. Hope you're well. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is where you can find out all the guests, sign up to our mail out and uh, and much more. Uh, There's a little bit of bad audio on this week's chat uh, because uh, unfortunately Andy's recording at his end didn't work out so we've had to go with one i had so um yeah you'll get for it kind of sorts itself out after get, get past the clicking noises that you hear at the beginning i i like to think that rather than just being a fault on the headphones or the microphone or whatever there was a dolphin in andy's lounge uh, that was just whispering ideas to him about what to tell me don't forget to tell him about the time you did this in afghanistan that's what i did that's that's what the clicking is. Anyway, I'll stop rambling. Um, also, by the way, right at the end of the podcast, I will tell you about a conference that I'm going to be taking part in in June in London. Right at the end, I'll mention that. But for now, let's crack on and say hello to photographer Andy Barnum. Hey, Andy. Steve, how are you doing? Thanks for having me here. How about we get started chatting about how you got started being freelance? Because it's quite a story, I hear. <laughs> um, I was in the military for a a few years and uh, I left in 2009 and I'd always loved photography and never really thought much of it. I'd always carried my camera when I was on on operational tour um, and tried to develop my photographic skills because quite frankly when I first started with a compact camera um, they were terrible. So I sort of developed as I progressed through my military career and when I left the military I bought myself a, a DSLR, did a quick three-day course of what exactly it was to press click, um, and quite frankly, didn't think anything of it. Um, I, I've got a few language skills for my sins, and given my military experience, I fully expected to go into the private security industry. But in the meantime, one of my friends who used to be a shoe designer uh, at the time was working for a shoe company just off Savile Row, saw some of my shots that I'd taken while I was in Afghanistan, and she said, you're, you're wasting your talents in private security. You really ought to be a photographer. So had a chat with her, had a chat with her boss, who, in addition to the store, also had a men's style blog. And this was back in 2009 when style blogs were relatively young. Um, and before I knew it, I was still applying for private security jobs, but I was contributing photography to the blog. And the more time went on, the more photography I was doing and the less... I- um, job applications I was doing and at the start it was just a couple shots a week for, for the blog um, 
and then it sort of grew from there. And I was introduced quite quickly to a, a men's style magazine based abroad. And I got very lucky that they asked me to go up to Scotland for a week's trip with the editor, um, mainly because their main sort of um, fell out and had another commitment at last minute. Um, and I was just very honest with them. I said, look, I've, I've got no experience. Um, they said, fine. Um, <laughs> and they just got, they set some feeding me work. And so it was all bit by bit. So I also did more for them. And I found after two years, I had five covers. I was shooting catwalk and runway at Milan, London and Paris fashion weeks. Um, and I was shooting editorial fashion shoots for them. So it did sort of progress and snowball pretty quickly after, after I left the military. Wow. So was it just that one client that you were working for or did you start to put the feelers out and did people talk to like how how did it grow? I mean that, that honestly the first year I thought I'd give it a go and I didn't really think much of it. I just accepted the photography jobs when they came along as a as a bit of extra cash. Um it was only at the end of year one I sort of went, hmm, this is this is fun. This is very different from what I expected to be doing. I've got all these connections with menswear and silver in particular. Uh a lot of people would, would kill for, for these connections. It'd be a shame just to walk away and give it up and not give it a real go. Um, and that was five years ago, and I'm still here. It's it's brilliant, and also you know because you do have a uh, a niche of would you call it lifestyle, like men's fashion sort of photography. Is that fair to say? I'd call it I call it lifestyle. I'm not sure I call it fashion per se. Um, I can shoot catwalk and and so on, but I think that the niche I've got is more the handcraft bespoke atelier side of life um be it savoir and tailoring right. or maybe sort of handmade jewelry or or shoes for example and and the fact that you you essentially then fell into that but obviously had that because i'm imagining that there was quite a difference from that from the uh, photographs you were taking when you're on tour with the army <laughs> just a bit uh i mean the, the shots i took on tour um I've still got, I've still, I've still kept everything. Um, I don't look at them very frequently, though. Um, but because of the situations I was in, I, I could never justify carrying a DSLR um, in addition to all the <laughs> military gear you've got. Um, and especially as I was an officer, I, it wasn't particularly suitable or appropriate for me to sort of be leading the, any patrol carrying a DSLR, not a, not a rifle, quite frankly. So it was always, but I always had a, my, my compact in my top pocket um, and it got to the stage where I'll be able to sort of walk down the street or walk down the, the alley and look at the situation both tactically and in terms of photographically and go I reckon in about 10 seconds from that angle where I'll be in 10 seconds that will probably be a good shot <laughs> quick look around make sure nothing's happening <laughs> get the compact camera out literally turn it on Compose it pretty quickly, press click, turn it off, back in my pocket, and off I go. Um, and then I'll sort of review the shots when I got back to the base. That's great. So you're completely self-taught? I did a quick three-day course um, when I left the army, but otherwise, yes. That's great. So are we now up to date? Like in your story, so you were doing uh, a lot of work for this magazine. That was what, three years ago that you reached that point. So where have we gone to since? So since then, the the editor of the magazine left to start his own publication. Uh, I went with him as his lead photographer, sort of head of photography, quite frankly, um, for for two years. Um, I then left because it wasn't quite going the direction I wanted it to, doing too much, to be honest. I'll come back to that in a second. 
so I went back to freelance start of 2014. Um, so, as I said, going back to the point, was I was just photographing so much because it's an international publication, and I was just sort of going around the world shooting various various things. But it was there's no let up. Um, for example, between I think January and March of that year, I think my first weekend off where I wasn't working or traveling was the end of March. Um, and by come, come the end of that year, I was just a walking zombie because not only was I having to sort of organize contributing photography and so on, I was just having to take it all myself and then work remotely back to Singapore where the publication was based. And so after basically being flogged, enjoying it to some extent, I thought, not really what I want. I'll go back to being freelance. Ah, right. So how did you then put yourself out there to get the freelance clients? I think after, after two years, I had various clients, well, not clients, so I had various contacts in the PR industry. Um, I knew, having been exposed to them in this country with the editorial work I had, uh, I also had a lot of contacts in the Far East that I, I tried to, to leverage if ever they wanted anything in this country. Um, I then sort of got back in touch with the various brands that I'd known before I was freelance. And basically, I think I walked, walked around London for about a week or two, just sort of seeing everyone, emailing everyone, saying, this is who I am. I'm, I'm back being freelance. I'm no longer full-time at the, at the publication. And it's sort of gone from there. How have you gone about uh, showing your work on your website, for example, your portfolio? Is, have you, has that gone through lots of different versions or how often do you update it? Talk us through that. Honestly, I think I'll change my website completely once every year or 18 months. <laughs> right. Um, as I said, when I, when I first started, it was very, very organic in the way that I approached the job and it wasn't very, very planned, um, not expecting to be in the industry very long. Um, so I've, as I said, almost every year or 18 months, I've sort of reassessed the website and gone, what, what's working well, what's not working well? Um, do I need to include certain aspects like sales of prints? Should I include a blog? Where should I put my social media buttons? Um, and I think the last one I changed, it was about 18 months ago when my hosting service at the time wasn't particularly adaptable for mobile devices. Um, so I thought that was very important to me then. So unfortunately, I had to, the hosting service wasn't offering adaptability. So changed to another one. And starts my website again from scratch. Oh, in that case, everybody, go take a look now before he changes it again. He's due a- <laughs> I am due a change. Because <laughs> it's really nice. I mean, there's a lot on there. It's, it's, it's this great thing, of course, with photographers. In ver- right on your homepage, you can really lay an impact out immediately with minimum of copy, for example. Yeah. Um, but then very much split into galleries and you include a best of, for example, don't you, as well? I try to. Um uh, right now, honestly, I think my website, I don't think I'll show it too much. Um, as I said, I've sort of reached the stage where in the last year, year and a half, the, the nature of what I've, I've been doing is has changed slightly with the work I've done for Riddle. Um, but it's been so gradual, I haven't really noticed it. It's only the last month or so I've sort of sat down and gone, I need to reassess, I need to refocus, what are the, what are the aims? Um, is my website showing up the best of ability? And I don't think it is right now. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about that then, because sure. um, Riddle is uh, Riddle magazine, but you started. Yeah, having contributed to this foreign title a couple of years ago um, and then gone in-house, uh, I basically had some amount of experience with 
media and, and online media in particular for three or four years. So when I went freelance in 2014, my, my now wife was basically saying, if you, if you want magazine work, but you're annoyed at the stuff you're being offered by previous publications, all the things you don't think are quite right, why don't, why don't you do it yourself? And in true form, I went, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and then four weeks later, I went, that's still a really good idea. Let's talk about this. Um, so we talked about it, sat down and thrashed it, all the deals out on our, on our whiteboard, and went, okay, let's do it. Um, and it got, I think it's, we're now 18, 20 months old. We've got about 46,000 unique visitors a month, reading 250,000 page views. Um, it's an online UK-focused magazine. There's a small core team of staff and a lot of friendly contributors who I owe a large debt of gratitude to. You have taken on people to run it for you? No. I, I've one or two that assist me as a, as a core management group. Um, otherwise, I'm, I'm fairly hands-on and I spend a lot of my time on that. And that's another method I use to meet contacts, uh, to make leads, to, to meet potential clients and so on. Clever, yeah. And gives you that opportunity then, you were saying, that you weren't getting the work perhaps that you, you wanted to show what you're capable of. Exactly. Um, I thought if I started my own magazine, then I could cushion myself to do the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, hasn't quite worked out like that, and it's been a lot harder work than I imagined. <laughs> but you're right insofar that uh, it, it puts me out there through the magazine um, and through my own freelance prospecting. It gives us sort of another bite of the cherry of this is who I am uh, and getting my name established. Yeah, because as as a photographer, obviously, magazine, online blog, uh, very visual mediums, and so you're creating the work that you want to be known for. That you know, there's nobody who can say otherwise. You're right. I think what the the biggest consideration I've got is it's just time. Is is how much time do I spend taking as much original photography as I can for it all, um, compared to the stuff that I think. All the, all the background administrative work that needs to be done and then picking and choosing the projects and um, articles that I think would suit my, my style of photography. How do you split up your the time between that project and the paid client work? Not as well as I should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm spending a lot of time really to make sure it works. Um, I, am, I should be doing more freelance prospecting. Um, right, I've been relying on previous clients and so on and word of mouth people coming to me for quite a bit of work which luckily still happens um several times a month that, that keeps the bills being paid um but no my long-term aim is definitely riddle but it also does help keep my portfolio current yeah how have you found the financial side of freelancing i think when it goes well it's fantastic um I did have several campaigns quite early on um, and the usage rights were very good. On the, on the reverse side, you are constantly thinking about what's the next pair gig and, and, and so on. Um, so I guess it's, it's, it's managing when times are good and when times are bad um, and then managing your finances properly, all the, chasing up all your invoices um, and so on. And there's just being wary of what, what you buy and what you spend on in terms of kit and everything else. Yeah, it can be very tempting as a photographer, I think, to go after those new toys. I I had the newest toys on the market when I was working in-house a few years ago. 
um, and going back to freelance was a bit of shock to the cash flow um, <laughs> and equally having to give up the toys and go, oh, I've got to get the next next set down, um, which wasn't, it is what it is, I think, in the day. You, you make the best of what you've got. I noticed there's video on your website as well. Is that something you've deliberately gone after or did people say, hey, but by the way, can you film with that thing you've got there? Uh, the video was very much more uh, an organising video and, and knowing videographers um, who could take video for me um, so that I could go and approach clients um, and in the same email go, I can offer both stills and video in the same package, um, which I think is very important. I think a lot of people like video. Um, unfortunately, I personally don't think in video terms myself right now, so it's not something that I, I offer myself. Oh, I see. But you've thought about the fact that that is what your clients might want and therefore rather than let them go somewhere else, you're thinking I'll, I'll just bring on another freelancer to, to work with me. Yeah, very much so. I think a lot of the freelancers I know, some are very good at networking and some, some just aren't. Um, and one of the most creative video videographers I knew was very bad at networking, but she was great at what she did. And in that regard, I thought I may as well leverage all the contacts I have. And if I can offer a package, then let's go for it. There's nothing to, nothing to lose. That's great. Okay, we're going to chat a bit more in a moment. But let me just remind you, this episode is supported by the podcast host, who are, by the way, a company that grew out of one guy's passion for podcasting, a freelancer, if you will, by the name of Colin. He now leads a team that helps anyone start their own show. Uh, you can learn the craft through their online courses, no matter your technical knowledge. If you've got none, doesn't matter. Uh, they can even take care of the entire process. So you you do the presenting, send them the recordings, and then they do the rest. They edit it, they publish it. They've got loads going on, one-to-one -one support, monthly live mastermind groups. By all accounts, it looks like a great way to get your podcast uh, up and running or improve the one you already have. So check them out, thepodcasthost.com. There's a link at our website as well. Uh, let's get chat. Let's get back to Andy, though. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, has that military experience that you had uh, helped you in any way in being a freelancer? It's kind of strange that I'm now reaching the stage where I've been out of the military longer than I served. Um, so it's not something that I regularly bring up or not something I readily bring up, should I say, um, because it's got no direct bearing on, on what I do now. That said, I think anyone who has served walks away with a certain amount of, of life skills and experience. And it definitely does influence how I approach a job and how I plan, especially. So, so yes, it's definitely still with me, but it's not, it's not really sort of applicable anymore to, to my daily life. It's interesting to hear you say so in, in planning in particular. Yeah, I mean, I used to, I used to plan various operations um, and so on. And every officer is used to a very thorough planning process because that's just part of our training. It's very difficult to walk away from that and drop all of it. I think it's something that will always stay with you. Um, I remember going on a, on a car rally several years after I left the military um, and I was still very, I dare say, institutionalised um, <laughs> in my way of thinking. Um, and at the end of it, I basically wrote a three-page not brief, um, a three-page critique 
and sent it back to the um, the car rally organizer going, by the way, did you think of that? This went wrong. Did you think of this? And, and so on and so on. Um, he was very nice and accepted it with good, good grace um, and said actually there were quite a lot of things that he'd never even considered in there. So, so yeah. Um, and equally, in my previous publication, my former assistant used to call me the devil basically because I would just be very detail-orientated and pick up on a lot of things you would, you would miss, mainly because just a lack of experience and training. Yeah, because I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm wondering whether there is stuff in like the planning or, as you say, debriefing. and Because re- sometimes it can be, uh, you know, we go from job to job to job and sometimes it's important to sit back and think about how things went. I completely agree. Um, I think the military said there's no plan ever survives contact. Um, and I don't think ever, any plan ever does. I think it's very important to, to look back on what A goes well and A what doesn't go well. Um, and say, actually, next time, how do we make it better? Or if it did, even if it did go well, how do we improve? What's the next evolution of what we're doing? Um, and just and keep keep moving forwards. I think if you stay still, you're you're not going to be particularly successful. Nice. How have you found work life balance of being a freelancer? It sounds like you had the really crazy year when you were flying around the world. Um, you sounds like you've also got married since. So how's how's that working out? I think my, my work life balance has definitely changed since um, I met my now wife um, and got married. I think when I was single, I would regularly just go to the office, work, go home, have dinner, and sit and watch TV, but my laptop on my laps, literally emailing till 10 or 11 at night. Um, I would never describe myself as an alco- as a alcoholic, <laughs> Freudian slip, uh, workaholic, um, mainly because photography is something I was passionate about. Um, and if I was at home, I, I, I thought I may as well just, just send a few emails, work on my website and do other things. I think that balance has definitely tipped in the better way now that I've met my wife and got married. Um, and basically when she comes home, that, that sort of stops. The, the laptop goes away and we, we don't talk work. Equally, I, I now have a, a dog who I'm hoping is staying quiet during this this uh, this call um, <laughs> that I sort of take out every morning and, and is a good excuse to go and get some fresh air. Yeah, that 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 can be a thing. We we, we had um, Natalie, uh, illustrator, who was you know locked in her house for three weeks. She felt like because she until she got a dog, she had no real excuse to go out. I think it's very much um, some freelancers and people who work for themselves do find is if if you work from home, personally, you've got the little TV there, you've got the fridge in the kitchen on on the other side of the house. Um, and it can be very easy just to, to lose yourself in your laptop. Um, and I was talking to a, another freelancer who started her own, her own bridal company the other day, um, especially among creatives. When things go well, you feel on top of the world. But things can, if things go badly, it's very easy to feel as if you're in a black hole and there's no one there and there's no one supporting you. I think at times like that, you just need to get out of the house, go get some fresh air, get a cup of coffee, and realize actually things are not as bad as they seem, that there is a light in the tunnel, it's not a freight train coming your way. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like a lot of this is very, uh, a lot of your work is very much based on those human connections. Actually, you know, a human network, as in face-to-face people, rather than the social, online social side of it, if you see what I'm trying to say in that muddle of words. I get you. Um, (laughs) It was there somewhere. Yeah. Online is very important. Obviously, it is very important. And with everyone's websites and social media, and I think it's a case of 
social media is then if you, if you use it, use it, be in it to win it. Um, if you don't, then really do accept the fact you're you're cutting off a, a very potentially very lucrative stream of of clients and prospecting. However, I think equally with the amount of online work and streams and channels which which are out there, it's also very easy to miss people. Um, and I think, especially the the clients I have who are slightly slightly more old school, it's very useful to be able to walk into London, walk into town. And even just drop by and just have a cup of coffee and see them face to face. Even if I meet someone online or via social media, I try as soon as possible to go, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to come in. I'd love to learn more about you, your brand, and, and make that human connection. I think it's also too easy to hide behind email and not make that connection and just be a, another name in an inbox. I think it's very, very good to go in, press the flesh, shake people's hands, um, and show you are interested as a person in them and their their brand and product um, and hopefully good things will come out of those relationships yeah that's great especially because y- you are doing a lot of work with people who are crafts craftsmen craftswomen you know they're, they're they're bespoke tailored services by the sounds of it yeah between between the cross men and cross women and the tailors um and jewelers and so on that's why i sort of mentioned that the most people i, I know and network with are as I said, slightly older and bolder, maybe they might not trust the internet or have had bad experiences um, a couple of years ago with potentially a sort of a cowboy uh, web designer. Or their wares, especially when it comes to bespoke products, are not easily sellable on the internet. It's very hard to explain to someone on a website all the pros and cons and ins and outs, for example, of a bespoke suit. Whereas actually if you go into their establishments, it's much more easy to go through it in person when they can show you and explain everything in, in detail. Um, and hence, as I said, just taking time um, and going to see these people and establishing that, that real-life human connection. Do you find that you're having to educate them and help them with a broader sense of marketing rather than just photography? Sometimes. I think a lot of the companies and brands that I know, there are, there are younger staff who understand it. Um, unfortunately, they just aren't being listened to, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um, as I said, the, there's often some distrust for whatever reason. Um, or the fact that the, the business has been going for so long, they don't think they need the internet. Um, I know various brands who've had various re- reports done by external consultants. And because the consultants have basically come back and said, your, your client base is dying by one person a day, literally because that person is dying and no longer being able to come to you. You need to embrace the fact that technology is here and out there and get over your fears, otherwise you will not have a, a business to run. But coming back to your point of, of educating people, I think I think taking the photograph is the easy point when it comes to any client. I think it is educating them in regards to what works best for what they're trying to achieve. If they're trying to achieve something for social media, if they're trying to achieve something for website or print, in regards to just sort of orient landscape or portrait orientation in, in very simple terms. Um, but I've also know clients who want to know, right, how do I put on a, a fashion shoot for my brand? I want, I want shots, I want lifestyle shots with a model and makeup artist. How do I go about that? So quite a lot of my time is, is seeing these people and educating them in terms of the steps that they need to go along and helping them find the answer that suits them best. 
Great. Um, now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? I guess uh, number one, I'm a Getty contributor. I shoot for Getty. Number two, I photographed um, at a Victoria's Secret show. Um, and number three, I took Donald Rumsfeld's portrait. How did you end up taking Donald Rumsfeld's photo? It was actually quite early on in my um, my photographic career. Um, I, I, the shoe company I used to, to work for and their blog used to regularly do networking nights. Um, and someone came in um, and sort of introduced myself as a photographer, despite the fact it was very early on. And they said they had a project coming up for a charity, a UK-based charity, but it's a UK-based charity that had links and connections to America. So what they wanted to do was have sort of 20 Americans and 20 Brits who all had connections to the charity, um, of which Rumfeld was the first one. Um, and it was actually really interesting basically meeting him and taking his portrait because he had been the Secretary of Defence in 2003 that had basically signed us up to, to Gulf War. Um, and, and therefore, having been in the military and been on the first peacekeeping mission after Gulf War II, um, and then subsequently going to Afghanistan twice, meeting the person who was pretty much responsible for sending me abroad was, a, was an interesting opportunity. Wow. And Victoria's Secrets. It's a tough life, isn't it? I was going to say, that's... I, I All mean... hair extensions and legs, it was just terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, I was lucky enough to, to go actually backstage um, and this was at Earl's Court. I think it was one of the final things that happened at Earl's Court before it closed down a few years ago. Um, and so I basically had a couple of hours backstage while the girls were not wearing much, quite frankly, um, just getting sort of their, their hair and makeup done and waiting for the show to happen later that day. <laughs> it's after a while, you sort of get a bit immune to it. Like, oh, it's not fair of legs. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> and Getty... What what kind of images do do? So how how does Getty work? That that's like a, a big image library, right? For the yeah, for Getty, the press is it? Getty is a massive image library now. I think they've also bought a few um, agencies recently, so they're really much con, uh, consolidating their grip on on the industry. Um, basically, what that comes down to is, as I said, I used to take photographs of my compact camera when I was away in Afghanistan. Um, and one of the first, my first, I guess my first site I had was on Flickr. Um, I don't even know if Flickr's still around anymore. And Getty bought Flickr quite soon after I, I set up my site. And my site at the time was very much dominated by the shots I'd taken while I was away. And one day, an email from Getty saying that they looked at my photographs and um, they decided they'd like to put four of them for, for sale on, on their site. Wow, okay, all of these are utterly convincing. The detail you went into with the Victoria's Secrets, uh, which would be etched in your memory, the, the, the wonderful idea of you coming face-to-face to somebody who has to send people to war, but then it's totally convincing that your images will be for sale. So I don't know which one to go for at all. And I'm going to say you've not been backstage at Victoria's Secrets. You've not that the Victoria's Secrets, that's the lie. I hate to tell you that's true. Oh man! I hate to tell you that was a truthful one. Which was the which was the lie? I never photographed Donald Rumsfeld. Oh, you were so convincing. 
Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? Just one thing. I think coming out of the military, I was still very institutionalized. I think it's sort of mentioned it a few times now. Um, but also very used to how the military works and so far that everyone tends to tends to pull together i don't think i was quite i don't i was ready to leave the army but i didn't quite understand how the and i don't mean this word in any derogatory meaning uh civilian sort of world worked insofar that i think people are very much more focused on what they what what is good for them um in terms of commercial out commercialism and so on and I, th- I definitely was taken in initially by one or two people who used my very recent military connections to further their own ambitions and get very little back in return so as I say the advice isn't be more cutthroat but as I say be more discriminating in in, in who you help and, and what you what you offer them in regards to help um, and what you expect back in return Thank you so much for talking to us today. You've got to check out Andy's work. I will, of course, put links at beingfreelance.com. Nice. I think we heard your dog eventually at the end there. She was trying to play with you almost all the way through. Hopefully she was fairly quiet. <laughs> Sounded like she was trying to wrestle the uh, the microphone off you at the end. Well, she's 40 kilos of love. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, beingfreelance.com, where you can also check out loads of other guests, uh, key takeaway points from this, useful links and stuff. And, of course, as I say, check out Andy's work. And check out The Riddle as well, which is really – Matt, I've, I've, I've now got it in my head, but I need one of those Swedish watches, which is on there at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> They're cool. so nice nice uh Brilliant. and uh, yeah so th- thanks for that that's going on the the birthday list uh so riddle magazine as well we'll put links at beingfreelance.com and find us on twitter at being freelance but andy thank you so much and all the best being freelance steve thanks so much there we go hope you enjoyed that so in june 2016 i'm going to be part of the lineup at the new media europe conference it's in london it's 18th and 19th of june i think it is it would be great to see you there if you fancy it take a look at their website there's a link at beingfreelance.com and you'll see all of the details i mention this now because early bird tickets and of course they're limited go on sale march the first which is the week when this episode is first being published so i realize that might not be when you're listening to it but early bird tickets go on sale uh, this week so please uh, check it out if it looks like the sort of thing you might be interested in you can get to london in june come and say hi basically as far as i'm concerned the bit i'm doing is kind of going to be a live version of the podcast in but instead of one person me talking to i'm going to have me talking to uh, we're going to have a panel so a panel of um of uh, creative entrepreneurs freelancer type people to chat to and discuss being freelance you never drill after all <laughs> don't really have to explain it to you but it would be uh, it would be awesome to see you there so the lineup of speakers is really cool and it's something i wanted to go to anyway so actually to be appearing at is a real honor and it would be really cool to see you there all right beingfreelance.com and follow the links to new media europe 2016 in the meantime though have a great week being freelance